I'm John Lewis, and you're listening to 360 Degree City, a podcast where we talk to people who are working to make cities better. Our hope is that after each episode, you'll start to see your own city from a slightly different angle. How can we provide housing that's more affordable, environmentally friendly, and livable all at once? Throughout the next few months, we're going to be exploring this type of question. With a fantastic team of collaborators, we're running the Better Housing Solutions Lab, which is funded by the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. The hope is that the lab will be a catalyst to drive action and innovation in the affordable housing sector across Canada. Our team at Intelligent Futures initiated this lab alongside our partners, Attainable Homes Calgary, Alberta Ecotrust, the City of Calgary Affordable Housing Division, and Dr. Sasha Senkova of the University of Calgary. This episode is a second installment of the Better Housing Lab series that explores issues surrounding affordable housing and serves as homework for our lab participants. To understand how we might innovate and improve future housing projects, we wanted to understand the Canadian affordable housing context. What's the history of affordable housing in Canada? And what are some key challenges and factors of success across the country? Today, I chat with a former professor of mine. Dr. Sasha Sinkova joins me for a conversation to better understand the affordable housing landscape across Canada. Okay, so it looks like everything is working on the technical side. Okay, so we'll get rolling. So maybe we'll start if you could introduce yourself and what it is that you do. Um, thanks, John. Um, Sasha Tsenkova, Professor of Planning and International Development at the School of Architecture, uh, planning and landscape architecture at the University of Calgary. Um, I, I have a, a very long academic and professional career as an architect and a planner and recently was uh, um, appointed a, a very intriguing league of professional planners, the fellows of the Canadian Institute of Planning in, in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also done a lot of international work and consulting for um, international organizations such as uh, the World Bank, the United Nations, the Economic Commission for Europe, Council of Europe, and uh, different governments. So I've, I've been privileged to work in at least 25 countries, and I don't even know how many cities <laughs> around the world. Um Focusing on um, urban projects, neighborhood rebuilding, but also affordable housing, which is something that I, I really I feel passionate about. Great. And that's the that's the area we're going to dive into uh, today. So um, <clears throat> we're obviously collaborating on this uh, solutions lab that's uh, supported by CMHC and you're one of the, the key partners with us. Um, so oftentimes uh, through our lab and any time that affordable housing is talked about, uh, this idea of the housing spectrum uh, comes up. So in the previous episode with some housing providers, we had talked about it. Uh, but maybe with, with your extensive expertise, uh, could you share with the listeners uh, and describe what this housing spectrum is? Um, it is really a fine conceptual piece that is uh, being adopted uh, in, in Canada, but also around the world, to describe a variety of uh, housing opportunities that people encounter in the housing marketplace. Um, and it, it really transitions uh, people and housing typologies from something that is short-term, such as the emergency shelters for the homeless, through uh, housing for people with special needs fleeing um, 
family violence or refugees, uh, stressful situations into the community or the social housing piece that is indeed uh, dedicated to uh, serving the needs of predominantly low-income uh, households and, and then more near-market housing or that kind of hybrid that is often uh, non-market housing run by non-profits and, and various uh, entities that ends up mixing different people with different um, social needs. And, and then we transition into the marketplace, which is the, the market rental housing and then mm. home ownership. So with that uh, transition across the spectrum, there is also an alignment with different types of support that different levels of government provide to make sure that uh, housing is of, of good quality, it's, it's adequately serving the needs of, of different people from different walks of life, both in the non-market um, segment of the, the housing um, spectrum, but also the, the market um, piece, which is again market rental and, and home ownership. Um, and so thinking about the housing spectrum, indeed, where the emphasis tends to be, it is very much on that non-market type of rental housing, which indeed mm -hmm. is, is uh, embracing the needs of a variety of people and uh, usually it's allocated on the basis of uh, different income criteria and, and social needs. And indeed, uh, anywhere and specifically in Canada, there is a massive shortage of that type of housing uh, across the board, but particularly in large cities where the need is far greater than uh, what uh, the, this segment of the market can provide. And interestingly, when we think about the, the housing continuum, um, very often in policy terms, the idea is you kind of ladder these experiences and as your income improves, as your um, well-being improves, you, you kind of begin to transition from something which is uh, very affordable, community-owned, uh, operated by regulated uh, providers into uh, market rental housing and indeed home ownership. Mm -hmm. But indeed, the housing experiences of people are, are, are very difficult to box in these um, need uh, typologies. Very often, people will actually have a different trajectory. So, uh, in um, times of economic depression and uh, and also a situation that we are facing right now with the health pandemic and indeed stressors on the economy, people will actually will be forced to move from the home ownership market into um, a type of non-market community housing and even uh, emergency shelters for right. financial and, and health reasons. So the trajectory of, of people's transitions and these housing ladders are not necessarily neat and perfect as we envision them. Uh, and, and that's why what we find today is that the gap has increased between the, the number of households and people that need uh, supportive and affordable rental housing um, and what uh, what the system in Canada can can actually deliver. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So to get some historical perspective before we talk about contemporary uh, examples of what's going on in affordable housing, um, can you provide some historical perspective on how the approach to affordable housing has changed in Canada over 
previous decades to to today? Um, well, this is this is very important because indeed uh, housing systems around the world are path dependent. They they actually. Um, uh, hinge on market performance, but also policy intervention and the behavior of different institutions, public, private, nonprofit, and also people. Um, uh, that again, thinking about the experiences of people uh, within uh, the, uh, the the housing uh, spectrum. Um, in Canada, the real uh, housing policy intervention began after the Second World War, and it was really federal government, just like other governments in, in European countries, uh, building homes for heroes. People mm. coming back from the war, there was this demographic boom. They were really people flocking to cities because of jobs and a number of opportunities. And and so the federal government stepped in and, and provided these uh, subsidies and funding to, to start building some of these homes. And, and a lot of these examples still exist today. Um, then the 60s were really a, a, an interesting period where, uh, again, urban growth in, in cities in Canada uh, was uh, very high. And at that point, uh, the government actually did two things. And, and we have to think about our three levels of government, right. federal, provincial, and, uh, and the municipal government. So the federal government took the lead on urban renewal uh, programs and, and also partnering with provincial governments who have the responsibility for the uh, community-owned and, and affordable rental uh, housing uh, piece of the housing spectrum, mm -hmm. partnered with provincial governments and also with um, urban municipalities to begin to infuse inner cities with these high-density um, projects that delivered housing, uh, public housing in most of the cases, to, to a lot of low-income uh, households and, and families indeed. And that urban renewal uh, phase was not particularly welcome in large cities because it was quite disruptive um, to a lot of the inner city communities that had uh, this legacy of strong cohesion and, and uh, uh, strong social ties and capital, but indeed it didn't have the, the good housing conditions. So um, th this phase of urban renewal was also complemented by something which was very, very smart and progressive at the time. So the federal government and provincial governments actually partnered with the private sector to build purpose-built rental housing, and that's the limited dividend program that kept the profits to 5% to shareholders, but mm -hmm. got the private sector supported uh, financially to, to actually build uh, rental housing. And if it wasn't for the legacy of those programs, uh, Canadian cities today wouldn't really have this magic share of 25 to 30% of purpose-built rental, mm. um, which is very, very important uh, as, as, a, as a way of transitioning to homeownership and laddering these uh, housing experiences. And then in the 80s, something else happened. And then sort of there was this uh, more conservative, neoliberal approach to housing policy where the government, big governments, provincial federal governments decided to step away and, and begin to nurture nonprofit, more diverse hybrid type of 
of uh, social housing provision. And that's how we ended up having nonprofits and co-ops. And so today in Canada, we have roughly 5% of our housing stock uh, being um, non-market affordable rental housing, whether we call it public or um, community-based or co-op housing or uh, non-profit housing is, is another story. There is mm-hmm. a lot of diversity mm-hmm. across the country and across the land. But the 90s mad kind of marked a, a sad point in, in Canadian housing policy. There was a massive departure from senior levels of government and, and the, the responsibilities were devolved to municipalities. And that's the lowest level of government doesn't right. have a, a lot of leverage. I mean, it collects, what, 10 cents to the dollar from taxes. And, and so, but by definition, they're at the frontier. They're the interface mm-hmm. with the people, mm-hmm. the citizens. Uh, the, so there were a lot of tent cities, uh, a lot of homelessness uh, growing across Canada. In, in Calgary, we have about 3,000 people sleeping rough on any given day of of the year. So that is uh, really the harsh reality which prompted a new phase uh, starting in 2017 when the federal government came back with a housing strategy at the national level, setting up some very ambitious targets, mm-hmm. um, investing uh, about $40 billion over 10 years. And, and again, this is a, a cost-sharing exercise with the provinces and, and the municipalities. So in a nutshell, this is the story uh, of, um, of uh, Canadian housing policy uh, in, in the last uh, a few decades, but it has created a, a very important path dependency in the system. So mm-hmm. the social housing sector is very small. Again, it's about 5%, while the share of, of households that experience um, uh, affordability uh, problems um, and are in core housing need is as high as um, 25% across the country. Right, okay. Okay. So that is the gap that we There's are dealing with. Uh, and indeed, the, the call for action that is coming from municipalities, housing advocates, uh, also governments, different levels of governments, is uh, we, need to, we need to actually um, start building again. Mm-hmm. Can mm-hmm. we build our way out of the housing crisis? Um, high, highly unlikely. Uh, because again, we are looking at one million units uh, that, right. that we need to, <laughs> to provide right now, today, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of that is is really um, shortage in in the largest cities in in Canada. Okay, uh, so that's really helpful, um, and yeah, that's that's quite a speed historical tour. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so what the, you speak of the, the 2017 shift, one of our first, uh, uh, guests on the podcast actually was, a uh, is a member of parliament from Halifax, uh, Andrew, Andy Fillmore, who, uh, was the first, uh, I believe the first ever certified urban planner to be me- elected to, uh, to parliament. So we talked about some of the, the initial transitions. So, and that's, you know, a result of the, the solutions lab that we're involved in today is, you know, emerging from that housing strategy. So let's let's dive into what's going on uh right now with some of the some of the building 
programs, uh, operations, those kinds of things. Um, when you look at affordable housing across Canada, what are some of the key challenges that you've observed, um, you know, in addressing that gap that, that you talked about um, that we face today? Um, well, the first challenge is, is really understanding how the housing markets work because our system is, is very much embedded in, in, a, in a, a market um, mm-hmm. operation. Uh, and indeed, um, also reaching out to those sectors in the marketplace and those institutions that can perform well and, and really deliver efficiently low-cost housing that is very much needed. And, and the focus is on the affordable rental housing because mm. the, the need is far greater for renters uh, compared to homeowners. Uh, 80% of the people in Calgary, um, but also across Canada, that have um, an affordability problem are actually renters. So they are mm-hmm. definitely okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, That is, first of all, is, is really understanding the nature of the marketplace and how efficiently different sectors can partner together and, and build synergies and, and deliver on the promise of, of building more. Um, the second uh, challenge is, is uh, um, also understanding that the, the affordable rental housing is about people and place. Uh, and indeed, it's really, it's not a question of whether we support the people or whether we, we build more homes and, and develop places and neighborhoods that are inclusive and, and continue to deliver good quality affordable housing. It's actually doing both. Um, right. And, and uh, very often in policy terms and, and also some proponents will argue well, it's not a housing problem, it's an income problem. So if income improves and people have jobs, then everything is going to be fine. And yes, our system delivers adequate opportunities for about 80% of Canadians, but 20% is too much to ignore. So it's obviously the need to, to come up with these kinds of solutions that work for the people, but also build places uh, that uh, that are inclusive and provides the supports that that people need to to be part of economic growth and and prosperity and actually enjoy um, a life, particularly in a city that Canadians deserve to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, another important challenge is is also very much related to the cost of. of uh, providing housing. And those costs are again market driven because the housing, affordable rental housing piece is such a small share. And what we have there in terms of growth is negligible. Best case scenario, it's 1%. Um, The costs actually come from the other big share in, in the marketplace. And across Canadian cities on average, that the costs of building a home um, in the affordable rental housing portfolio will range anywhere from 250000 to uh, half a million. And that is excluding the cost of land. So indeed, it's, it's a very capital-intensive proposition um, and, and one that um, obviously needs a, a lot of long-term sustainable support, fiscal and, and financial support. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the the other challenge is is indeed that the country is is very diverse and cities are very diverse and the the demographics in Canadian cities are becoming even more diverse. So very often in large cities you have like the equivalent of the United Nations people from 190 different communities being part of the, this ethnic mosaic in the city and indeed also being part of the the social um, um, housing tenant mix. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it's it's really also challenging to continue to provide housing solutions that uh, will be uniform across the board, which was very much the storyline uh, back then in the 60s and the 70s and even the 80s. So diversity is, is very important in terms of, again, serving the people and uh, and also providing housing opportunities that are there to stay and, and mm-hmm. flexible enough to accommodate cultural diversity. Right. And so, so yeah, so that's, I guess, magnified when, you know, something like building uh, a townhouse or an apartment building, that's, that's there. That's going to be there for decades. But the fluidity of folks that move through uh, units and things like that, and then the fluidity of demographics, um, you know, cultural backgrounds, all those kinds of things to make, yeah, it's, it can be sort of round peg, square hole kind of thing in terms of really adapting, quickly adapting uh, human beings that are moving through it in this static. <laughs> so that's a real real design and construction challenge, eh? Uh, it, it is. And, yeah. and so, and, and there's also a lot of, um, a lot of diversity on the people side, in terms of their cultural background, but also social needs. For so sure. uh, yeah. again, uh, still because our uh, segment of the non-market housing is so small, uh, so it's still really regulated in such a way that it continues to provide services to people that have very limited income. And they pay uh, 20 to 30% of their pre-tax income in rent. Mm-hmm. So you very often end up with a townhouse that uh, is inhabited by a larger family, but the rent that they pay is about uh, $200 to $300 a month. So the housing providers are really, really in a very stressful situation to continue to provide good quality and even wrap around social supports yeah. uh, to, to people where the cash flow is, is very limited and has nothing to do with uh, with market rents and ability to recover uh, mm-hmm. some some of the costs. So indeed, um, on the on the property side, so we are matching indeed the people and the home, not the house, <laughs> mm-hmm. the, yeah. which is very important. But uh, it it it's a business. It, it's a very capital intensive business as well, and one that again you know has to survive the test of time and the fluctuations in policy and politics sometimes with a small p. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 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 very very important that it's understood as as an asset of society and the community and the city that uh, really has a, an important societal function, but also has to have a, a, a legacy in place. So it's not associated with the, the stigma attached to some of the, the older projects, the high rises from the 60s, the tower blocks that concentrated mm-hmm. this share of, of, the urban, of the urban poor. Um, that is indeed a, a system transformation that requires a, a lot of uh, different strategies. Um, 
the policy strategy, but also um, a different way of developing um, affordable rental housing with mm-hmm. a social purpose, um, a, a community of builders that is not necessarily motivated by profit, but it has more of a social mandate. Um, planning definitely has a major role to play and, and also the design community coming up with design strategies that, could, that are conducive to, uh, to actually creating that powerful uh, legacy of social mix and, and also flexibility of a product that can survive the test of time and, and can accommodate uh, different, different needs. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's let's transition to some bright lights here. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, in in your uh, studies of of affordable housing uh, initiatives across the country, uh, what are some of the key ingredients for success uh, that you've observed? Um, well, that is a great question. I, I think that uh, indeed in, in this um, vacuum that kind of transpired after federal government and senior governments moved away from affordable housing uh, in, in the early 90s and, and had a kind of a, a comeback here and there with some action plans and programs and created a very messy system um, of, of supports. Uh, today, actually, the, the the narrative has changed because of the national housing strategy. Because it's uh, the crisis is is imminent. It, it's very real, uh, and indeed, during the the uh, current pandemic, mm-hmm. all of these inequalities actually became absolutely apparent yeah. in our society. So, how do you actually isolate? Where do you? Withdraw if, if you if you don't have a, a place to stay, um, and again that's a very harsh reality. Mm-hmm. So there's been a, a positive move, but again because of the nature of housing capital intensive fixed in place, um, the huge gap that exists between the, the needs and, and the supply. Um, what we have seen is is a range of, of different pilot projects uh, that indeed are, are very positive. They're very positive signs of change, but really don't add up to uh, something very systematic at this stage. And it okay. will take years to build that momentum. So in, in our research, we, uh, again, try to focus on those uh, good and positive examples. And again, I'm even hesitant to use the word best example because what is best example today is certainly not going to be mm-hmm. a best example uh, five or ten years down the road. We, we need to do a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we actually identified uh, several um, opportunities where investment in affordable housing using partnerships and, and also creating a social mix and an important environmental legacy, built legacy, uh, with strong design qualities. It is also uh, used as a catalyst of neighborhood rebuilding. So we, we okay. found great examples of, of neighborhoods uh, in, in the large cities, um, Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, where indeed inner city neighborhoods are, are being rebuilt. Uh, with the infusion of 15 to 20% of affordable rental housing as the overall neighborhood mix. And that is quite remarkable. This Mm. is indeed what other countries uh, in in Europe consider as uh, best practice. And and there it's 
it's a, a long-standing requirement legislated um, and, uh, and indeed implemented to, to create that um, integration of affordable housing in in the neighborhood and in the city overall. So we were able to identify about uh, 25 uh, projects, and by projects I mean anything that is um, uh, a development with um, 25 to uh, 225 units, okay. where the, uh, the idea is that, again, it's part of that overall requirement to have 15 to 25% of the housing in a neighborhood which is uh, usually for 10,000 to 12,000 people, being affordable rental. And that is the best practice that, uh, that we feel has a, a lot of potential to not just change the narrative on affordable rental housing, but indeed to actually provide a model for more inclusive uh, cities. Mm -hmm. um, and in, indeed, interestingly enough, we are discovering uh, the past um, in in a in an interesting way because that's how cities used to be. That's how Canadian cities and a lot of North American cities, if you look at, you know, the the older cities on the East Coast, but also um, in in uh, Boston, New York, um, also San Francisco and Vancouver. That's how they used. To, they were cities of renters. Mm. They were places where people will share the street, share the neighborhood. You know, Jane Jacobs describes the, the old Italy of Boston in a fascinating way. And so we're just coming back to those roots. And it took us uh, almost, you know, half a century to, to discover that that was a more viable and indeed better model for uh, city building and affordable housing than what we actually managed to establish, which is the suburban model of growth, uh, definitely with a very high share of single family. Based on ownership and owner yeah. occupied, yeah. yes. Yeah. So it, it's, it's yeah. property owning yeah. democracy <laughs> in the suburbs. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, well, it's, it's, uh, I had a conversation with a colleague a few months ago and we were talking about uh, the idea of home ownership and how it's just uh, at some point evolved to just this, you know, assumed thing that you should do because it just makes sense and and uh i think it was a few weeks ago someone in our lab had identified that there's a recent article in the globe and mail <clears throat> about how i think the 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 date of, of a study was from if, if you bought a house in 2003 onwards you would have been better off to have rented um than you know financially speaking um if you would have invested that money i think so um yeah it's just sort of this societal assumption that uh, everyone buys into but uh things are getting shaken up so <laughs> so and so indeed uh, they yeah. do. and and that's uh, that's also the kind of like home ownership when it's it's such a large uh, share of the housing system it certainly is not uniform and you have you know, the condo market and then there's the single family homes and the, the hybrids in between. Mm -hmm. Calgary is an interesting marketplace, uh, which uh, in, in, the, in the mosaic of Canadian cities, it has the highest share of single family homes and the highest share of home ownership, uh, which again is associated very much with a growth pattern that yeah. is being uh, adopted. Um, and, and indeed, the choice people between renting and owning in, in a system which which has a really such 
small share of social slash affordable rental housing that is very much functioning as a as a social safety net and a, a rental uh, market, private rental market that indeed is expected to transition people from, you know, uh, the start of a housing career to, to something mm. which is associated with home ownership is a predictable choice. It, it's not it's not so much a choice, it's what we call constrained choice. By default, mm. you are making that uh, transition. But indeed, great cities around the world are still cities of renters. And that makes right, a, right. a very different um, that makes a very different city, both from the people and the property side. Um, and uh, and indeed, uh, a lot of countries in Europe actually have systems that do not necessarily encourage homeownership. And so Germany, uh, Austria, Denmark, um, just to, to name a few. But certainly large cities are places like London and Paris and, and Vienna and Amsterdam are places where home ownership is on the defense part. So it's, mm. it's less than 40 percent. Uh, and, and indeed the mobility and the lifestyle and, and indeed also the regulation of um, planning and, and design of housing is, is done in such a way that it creates indeed more compact uh, and, and socially more inclusive and sustainable uh, communities that we, we aspire to have. Mm -hmm. But in our world, they are much more challenging to build and, and deliver. So what does that tell us about the societal values of a place that skews and pushes towards a home ownership model versus a more rental or social model of housing? Any any thoughts on kind of the big picture, deep reflection on what that says uh, about um, societal values, relationships, community, ownership, housing? Um, what, what, what do those differences tell us? Um, they are substantial differences. And I, I think that, again, it, it comes down to path dependence. It, it takes decades and decades and indeed centuries to create a particular housing system because it's there to stay. I mean, over 60% of what we have in cities is actually housing. Um, so it, it creates a, a very powerful determinant of built form and, and shapes people's experiences and, and the way we live, the way we interact, the way we commute between the home and the place of work. Um, a lot of these societies, and that's, uh, that's an interesting question, but the, the big shift was made, uh, I think, in a lot of these places a hundred years ago, uh, was really okay. a commitment to workers and was realizing that the wealth creation and the well-being of workers were intertwined. And, and so it wasn't just a question of philanthropy where, you know, uh, um, the, uh, the philanthropists will look after the guild or the, uh, the workers that are part of, of their economic enterprise, but it was more of a societal commitment where um, 
the rights to the city in a way and and also the rights to an economic system of prosperity and well-being were also fueled through the housing system itself. So places uh, like Amsterdam and Vienna made that shift and it was really a commitment to, to provide housing for people from different walks of life with the idea that if you have that home and that security and it was affordable, you are more productive worker, you, you indeed, uh, you know, you're more entrepreneurial, you continue to excel. So it wasn't so much philanthropy, but it was really with the with the economics in mind. And, and it was just setting up a different system. And mm -hmm. indeed, Switzerland has a system. It's not that the Swiss are poor, they cannot afford home ownership. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The most affluent nations in the world. But it, it's just a, a really taking uh, housing peace out of this more speculative world and, and in a right. way uh, providing more security, more predictable outcomes for everyone in the housing system where speculation and, and uh, hyperinflation of house prices is not really a desirable attribute of a, of a good housing system. Right. But this is not what we have. And the idea is that... Um, we might be able to at least get to a place where whatever we produce and continue to deliver as affordable rental housing is indeed going to, to be an asset to, to the city, to the community, and will establish even um, uh, an important legacy of belonging to a place uh, so that right. people will continue to uh, to be part of, of that Um neighborhood and and then the children will grow and they will go to the same school with the homeowners children and and will share the same open spaces and and also public uh, the public realm and um, and indeed all these exciting attributes that attract people to to the city and and that is a different it's a different proposition it's not really, again, using the, the affordable and social housing as a safety net uh, that looks after the most marginalized people in society. It's actually positioning it in a different way, where it's more about social mix and it's, it's more about, you know, providing opportunities also for the people to stay in place, to age in place, but also to providers to manage this as an asset, not as a business in liquidation, um, <laughs> and, and then uh, indeed um, continue to grow that, that asset. And this is a very different point of departure. It will take, it will take time. Uh, it will take a, a lot of um, commitment from different levels of government, also partnerships. In our research, we, we really focus deliberately on partnerships because they are the vehicle to implement the national housing strategy. They are also widely recognized around the world as the best practice to, to actually build and, and sustain the, the value of uh, the affordable uh, housing okay. sector. Okay. Okay, terrific. Uh, so I just have one more question before I let you go. Um, can you tell me a city that you love and why you love it? I know this will be a painful, hard one, but I'm asking just one. But it's just what you love. You don't have to pick your favorite. Just one that you, that you love. Well, that is a, a difficult question for me as a, as a European. I absolutely love European cities and, and enjoy their diversity and vitality and, and culture and, and beauty, proportions, uh, stellar architecture. 
if, if I have to pick one city where I feel at home, uh, that will be Vienna. And uh, mm. it's, it's, uh, it's a relatively small city for about 1.7 million people, so kind of comparable to, to Calgary. Um, it, it, Imperial Vienna has a, an incredible um, accomplishment of, of city building and uh, neighborhood creation and the cultural institutions that were created back then are still very, very alive um, and uh, innovative today. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Vienna has about 60% of its housing stock um, either socially owned or owned by nonprofits or co-ops, uh, different mm. Uh, different hybrid arrangements. So it, it's it's really again it's a it's a city of renters. Uh, but indeed that that rental portfolio is is quite diverse and um, they're very pragmatic people uh, as well. Um, it goes back to the legacy of the the Red Vienna a hundred years ago, where indeed very progressive municipal governments and. Uh, uh, affluent people of the day actually wanted to do something for the workers and they, they started these um, philanthropic initiatives and programs to build housing for the workers and these are some of the best public housing complexes still today in, in Europe and people actually come to uh, to see what, what has been accomplished back then through design and indeed uh, very, very sensible architecture. Um, so interestingly, in, in Vienna, uh, people can can live in the inner city. Uh, they could uh, that the the social housing is is uh, actually open to about eighty percent of, of the people, um, oh, wow. depending on income. So mm -hmm. it's very very inclusive. It's, it's not set up in such a way that you know uh, really uh, discriminates against certain like the the mid middle income uh, people. So a lot of people actually enjoy that freedom of choosing a location and a particular a place where they want to live. And, and it's also managed and run as a business and premised on social mix. So even in, in one building envelope, you would have a, a mix of different types of ownership. So rental and uh, owner occupied. Um, there would be also people that will pay, uh, you know, fixed rent if they're in the low income categories and there would be others that will pay the market rent uh, if you're a university professor and you can afford the, the full recovery rent. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what you're expected to, to do. Uh, the city plays a major role through the planning process. They kind of control the, the land use. They, they definitely manage growth in a very compact and sustainable way. Um, it's all serviced by transit, multimodal transit. Um, the, the, uh, the, the housing stock is, is built up to passive housing standards. Oh. And reportedly, it, it's about 10% more expensive to build, but then you recover that through your energy bill. So there is a, a lot of sustainability initiatives. Uh, also, there is an interesting system of um, private developers that, that build most of the housing, they're, they're uh, limited um, profit companies, they compete for the right to build social housing. And so the city of Vienna will have a roll call, open this process, and then they will uh, screen the projects on the basis of a sustainability framework. So they would actually compete 
to uh, to to qualify okay. for the right to build new uh, new social housing. So a very very uh, a very ambitious uh, environment within which uh, again there is a lot of innovation, excellence in design. Um, star architects like Zaha Hadid will have. Um, design projects for the social housing sector. Not the best, actually, I must admit. Um, <laughs> so, very, very, very interesting. So, again, a place that, that I, I've uh, been um, privileged to, to actually live in for a while and, and continue to, to go back to. And again, it's a place that I would call home. Okay, wonderful. A key part of developing innovative solutions in affordable housing is to understand the broader context. By knowing the evolution of approaches to housing and contemporary challenges, we can then explore how environmental solutions can be part of a new response that provides better housing for Canadians. As we move through the Better Housing Lab process, we may return with more discussions about the Canadian context and look at best practices both here at home and abroad. If you have any examples of affordable housing developments that have incorporated innovative approaches to environmental solutions, please let us know. We'd love to hear about them from you. 360 Degree City is created by our team at Intelligent Futures. To learn more about the work we do, go to intelligentfutures.ca. I'm John Lewis. Thanks for stopping by.